Welcome. My name is Lester S. Duplichan, MD, and welcome to my podcast. I'm an academic physiatrist and division director in physical medicine rehabilitation with a keen interest in over 25 years of experience in musculoskeletal medicine practice. The Woodshed. So this is a, uh, a special uh, episode of uh, The Woodshed. That's what we call the podcast here or the lab. Um, we get to invite uh, Dr. Tim Foster, who's an assistant professor of neurology and rehabilitation. He's a physiatrist. He's also board certified, fellowship trained in sports medicine, did that after his uh, primary PM&R adult uh, residency. And he's also the associate program director for our residency program and also co-director of the musculoskeletal block in the first year class for the University of Cincinnati School of Medicine. So Tim, I know you're busy. I know you're kind of off-site right now in your car in between doing some clinical things. So I really appreciate having you here for a few minutes. So thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So for the listeners who don't know us personally, how did we meet? Can I wanna hear it from your side. Yeah, I think the first time we met was at the ultrasound conference, would have been 2014. I think the first uh, ultrasound symposium that you put together. Uh, I happened to be on radiology as an intern and um, could steal away for the half day. Um, and then after that, I, uh, during my first, my second year of, of residency, my first year in PM&R, I did the first half of the year in continuity clinic with you as kind of my early exposure to musculoskeletal rehab. Um, and then kind of just been working together since I spent some more time uh, as a fellow. Um, anyone who's kind of thinking about fellows, sports medicine fellowship, you, you do a half day continuity clinic in your primary area of residency training. So I spent another half day with you um, in fellowship where we kind of worked a little bit closer together doing more of the, uh, interventional ultrasound, um, stuff together. And then from there, it's been, uh, continuing in that mentorship role as, as I've started as an early, early career physiatrist, I think that's what they call it in ABP MNR. So it's funny. And I always tell people don't go off the kind of love at first sight of the first time you meet somebody, because what I remember is I was getting started kind of doing the introduction to the ultrasound course. And it was at one of those rooms at Drake. That's what I remember. Yeah, and you were in the front, you were in the front row. And That's I right. yeah. And I didn't really know you. I, 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 I thought, well, this, this is one of our PGY ones. So that's cool that he's here and I'm sure he's going to be very attentive. And I look down and you're like talking to the person next to you while I'm talking. And I'm thinking, man, this guy's not even listening. This guy's going to be just a waste. Uh, I'm, you know, and of course things turned out very differently. So, um, you know, it's been great working with you and being able to recruit you here to stay after you, you know, did your fellowship and everything else. And now as a teacher, now you're teaching musculoskeletal medicine to the first year students and everything else. How has it been teaching MSK so early in the medical school curriculum? One of the things that always surprised me here is that there is this big block of musculoskeletal medicine in the first year of medical school. And I really didn't get MSK until probably my last year of residency. So how does that kind of change your perspective as a teacher, but also 
how do you feel it changes the perspective of PM&R here on campus? Yeah, I was talking to someone about this the other day. I had anatomy um, when I was a first year medical student, but I don't think we ever had a block dedicated to musculoskeletal. And I think if we did, it was, I can't remember. I think it was kind of lumped in with dermatology the way it is here at UC, but I don't remember spending as much time on musculoskeletal as we did like on renal or, or cardiology. So it's been cool for two reasons. One, seeing the, the excitement in the first year medical students, especially the ones that come up after the lecture and say, you know, I'm really interested in sports medicine or I'm really interested in human arc. I've already gotten like three or four emails, uh, this block that we've been teaching that people want to shadow. And so it's really cool to see the excitement in the field. Um, and, and so early and, and being able to kind of help introduce people to the field and kind of show them the breadth of what we do is, is really, is really cool. It's also really helped me as a teacher because it feels like I'm teaching really, really basic stuff. Um, and so I tell our residents all the time, it, it, it really shows you how far you've come. Uh, but it, it also, it, it forces me to be able to teach what I think is, is basic stuff in a way that's easily understood. And so it's really challenged me as a teacher to be able to kind of get across concepts that I, I kind of take for granted now in a way that, that everyone can understand and hearing the way that, that some of the students kind of think to be able to ask a question that they ask, I, it really makes me take a step back and, and make sure that I really understand something inside and out to be able to explain it uh, in a way that, that, you know, different people are going to understand. So it's, it's been a really, it's been a big challenge uh, to, to teach, even you know, in our residents, they, they have some kind of built-in interest in MSK. So even to teach people who may not really have an interest in it uh, in a way that's kind of exciting and, and, and makes sense, it's been, a, it's been a challenge. I think it's made me a better teacher. Yeah, you brought up a couple of really good points. And one of the things I learned as a resident was I learned better if I was teaching back. I kind of felt as an undergrad that I was a really good kind of almost photographic memory person or mnemonic person or somebody who could kind of learn concepts and just kind of barf it back out for the test. But I learned that I had to put things in my own words. And somebody told me as a resident somewhere along the lines, wow, I really like the way that you sound things out or the way that you make things very simple or use analogies. And as you know, I, I like to use food analogies with teaching ultrasound and kind of electricity analogies with teaching EMG and things like that. But it also reminds you that as we go through medical education, you're kind of teaching towards your attending, like, Hey, I want to speak the language, like my attending, you know, really. Right. So my attending can understand. And the reality is when you're seeing patients, you really want to teach it so that your patients understand they don't, they shouldn't have to have a medical degree to understand what you're right. discussing. If they go home and they tell their family, Hey, Dr. Foster was really smart, but I don't remember anything he said, you've kind of failed. And so I think being able to teach, you know, first year medical students brings us back to the essence of, Hey, if you can't put it in everyday language, then you don't know it really well. And you have to change the way you teach. And, you know, me being more seasoned than you, I've really had to change the way I teach a great deal now that things are more virtual and, you know, we went through this whole last year yeah. giving virtual lectures and things. You've got to find other ways to do it. It can't just be physical and what you see and, you know, walking around the lecture hall and, and the rest of it. One of the things I wanted to discuss 
as well with you because very few people have the same kind of lifestyle that you have as far as you'd only teach in the first year, you know, heavily in the first year medical school class and in residency and everything else. Your clinical practice is very different in the sense that like right now you're sitting in the car because you're doing training room kind of sideline coverage and all the rest, but you also have administrative work that you do for like the medical school and for the residency program. So can you tell listeners what a typical day or week looks like in regards to you as far as clinical work? Because I think it's very different from the idea of I've got a white coat on and I just go sit in one room and then go to a couple of exam rooms and that's my day. And I'll be doing that the same way for 40 years. Yeah. So the typical day, I don't really have a, I have a typical day of the week, but every day is a little bit different, which is, is why I like what I do and why I kind of structure my schedule that way. So, um, so I'll, I'll go with a typical week. So I have, um, I have like two and a half admin half days, um, that I can use to, to do some of the work, you know, make sure that my, my lectures are, are up to date for the medical students and, and make sure we, we are doing things for the residency program that we need to be doing. Um, one of those half days I actually spend up at Miami university where I'm, where I'm one of the team physicians and, and see athletes up there. So, um, kind of balance teaching a fellow and, and, and seeing athletes up there with, you know, scheduling meetings and, and, and that sort of thing that I need to do. And then I, I split my time kind of unique schedule. I split my time between the orthopedics department and the, the PM&R department and, and a couple half days a week, I'm doing general and general PM&R with a little bit of a musculoskeletal tilt, um, and some spasticity management. Uh, and then the other half of the week, I'm in the ortho clinics, just doing your kind of run of the mill sports medicine, uh, kind of non-operative, uh, sports medicine. So, um, I'm also in four different clinical buildings throughout the week. So I can kind of meet my patients out in the community where they're at and, and, and not, like you said, kind of stay in one building, which, which I enjoy. I get, get around and, and, and get to work with different people and, and see different, uh, you know, see different populations and stuff too. Um, but it's kind of a mix of, of general rehab with, with a slight, uh, preference towards MSK then, and then the, the just kind of non-operative sports medicine kind of bread and butter stuff that we see. So this is where we take a break and, uh, kind of think about some other things. You know, we've, we talk about music a lot and, uh, I can remember you being in my private practice, being in my office, listening to music, you saying, Hey, this is like my dad's record collection, that sort of thing. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So this is the segment where you get to answer a few questions for me. And so the segment is called better jam in the procedure suite. So I'm going to give you two different songs and you're going to pick the one that you would like better to work with. So the first one is one from probably your dad's record collection from years ago. So it's immigrant song versus cashmere. I'd go with immigrant song. Immigrant. Song. I used to joke that that sounded like the, uh, uh, theme song to the brain injury floor at Encompass, just because of the the screaming that the that starts the the song. So <laughs> okay. it feels very rehab appropriate. <laughs> All right. Okay. So here's here's a uh, here's another one. So this one is going to be Springsteen versus the 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 Beatles. So bored in the USA or back in the USSR. I'm not a Springsteen guy. Um, although I, I do, if you really listen to the lyrics of Born in the USA, it's not a very patriotic song. Yeah, it's it's, it's, uh, it's definitely anti. <laughs> um, yeah, but I like I like back in the USA. Sorry, I like the dig kind of at the Beatle or at the Beach Boys style. Yeah, uh, my dad's a huge Beatles fan. So, yeah, uh, I go back in the USSR. 
Yeah, Born in the USA kind of reminds me of uh, the first Rambo movie. You know, it's kind of like that. Like, hey, I come back and, you know, everybody's treating me poorly, that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's, so, we we kind of play it around like uh, like Labor Day, you know, and it's like, ah, actually, if you listen, it's kind of it's kind of anti how we treat people when they come back. You know, it's, it's kind of a parody of, of, uh, of how we actually treat people. So this is going to be the hardest one of all. All right. Call me maybe or anything by Celine Dion. There's only really like two good songs by Celine Dion, but uh, really, I'd probably go with yeah. Uh, well, that I know, I guess. I, I'd well, that's why I said the, anything. Uh, the, uh, the 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 main song from the Titanic. I could listen to that one in clinic. Oh, okay, yeah. My heart must go on, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, my heart will go on. Yeah, that's okay. Better, All right. Maybe. All right. I would probably go with "Call Me Maybe." To be honest with you, <laughs> even though I love her voice, they're kind of all the same. All right. Yeah. Um, so, all right. a real so, good. Uh, um, do, you, do you use Apple Music? Oh yes, absolutely. I stumbled across Dive Bar. This playlist on there that I hadn't found before. It's just called the Dive Bar. Okay. It's uh, it's really good. I think you'd like it. It kind of fits with uh, the stuff that you like to listen to in clinic. I'll have to listen also, to it. Also interesting. Uh, I still listen to music in clinic, so I think we kind of bonded and and when I was on my MSK rotations with music in clinic, and I I still to this day. Uh, don't go through clinic without having music playing. I think I annoy other people at, at Drake with me when they're working with me because I'll be playing music. But uh, I still, I still, uh, I can't go through clinic without music on. Yeah, if there is not a Bluetooth speaker, I will even just put on my phone. But I have to have yeah, something that's pacing. What I'm doing. Yeah, I got to have something pacing me to get through the day. I've got to have some sort of soundtrack, and you know, there's always a. There's always a song that comes on that you're like, man, I haven't heard that in a long time. So mm -hmm. yeah. that's always it good. Is, it makes it more enjoyable too. I think the residents enjoy it. Um, staff usually enjoys it. Uh, I think it's a, it's a good thing to have in clinic. It makes us not so stuffy. Great. So here's a tough question I usually ask, and um, I'm going to give it to you here. Do you feel you're living your, your dream as a physician yet? Are you there? Is this and this is a hard question. Is this what you thought you'd be doing at this point <laughs> in your career, you know, uh, 10 years ago, or is it coming, is it yeah. blossomed into something different? It is, it's a tough question. I, I don't know. I'm a little bullheaded in that I just kind of get into stuff without really thinking about it. So I, I, I kind of think it's a good thing too. I don't know. I think thinking of things as like, you know, dream life or dream job, I think is a little dangerous, especially I, I've been thinking just about this in my own life recently, when we, especially in the social, social media age, there's such a, such a tendency to kind of, com, com, you know, comparative shop, what, what we're doing with what other people are doing. I don't know that I thought I would be here. I remember in, in medical school thinking I wanted to do sports, but I would never work at a college level just, and then I did my fellowship and I loved it. And so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really happy at my job. I'm really happy at, at my, in my personal life. I I'm challenged every day and don't dread coming to work. I, I enjoy coming to work and, and the people I get to work with and I'm proud of the stuff I do. And so in that sense, I think you couldn't really ask for more. So I think I am, you know, working my dream job, not so much necessarily that being things I do or titles or positions I have, but the fact that I'm just generally genuinely happy working, uh, I think is, 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 is really what we should aim for as a, you know, working your dream job.
Yeah, I think that's well put. And I'll be honest with you. I think my dream job 15 years ago is different from my dream job right now. Because what I really love to do 15 years ago and the pace and everything else would probably be not something that's right for me right now at this point in my my life. And I think I'm probably busier now than I was 15 years ago, but it's just a different type of thing. And you can't expect to be the same person over and over and over again. I think that gets boring and that gets to be something that, you know, you're grinding your teeth going to work. And I think as long as you're smiling on the way to work in the morning, knowing that you're going into something that you may not know how the day is going to end up, but you know, it's going to be fun. You know, you're in the right field. So talking about fields, and I know you get these questions all the time from medical students, residents, and the rest. One of the questions becomes, hey, um, I kind of like what you're doing, or I like what I'm doing. I'm into MSK. And of course, this is an MSK podcast. Do you have to do a fellowship? Did you feel you had to do a fellowship? What do you tell people in regards to fellowship? Because, you know, some of our residents have gone through four years of residency and have not done a fellowship and they're doing great. You know, we had Dr. Gearman on last time and didn't do a fellowship and, you know, he's out there, you know, with his own practice and everything else. And then there are other people who feel like I absolutely positively have to do a fellowship. And so you're a guy who I know was on the fence for a while. I, I know some of your answer, but I'd like you to share it with some of our listeners about the kind of the positives and kind of the negatives of fellowship training, especially in regards to sports medicine. Yeah, I think so. I think that that answer is a little bit different depending on if you're trying to get into the stuff we do through PMNR, if you're trying to get into it somewhere else. So if you're if you're if you're kind of set on doing PMNR, I think. I think we, we talk about sports medicine um, and there's really two, two ways that, that we do that. One is event coverage um, and, and team coverage. And then the other is, you know, a, a kind of nine to five clinic musculoskeletal clinic. And so I think that's the first question that needs to be answered. If you're, if you're wondering if you want to do fellowship um, and if you don't know, then I would, then I would do fellowship. So you, you don't close any doors to yourself, but if you want to, if you don't see yourself doing nights and weekends, game coverage, team coverage, and you want to do an outpatient clinic, but do interventional procedures and, and see, uh, you know, musculoskeletal and sports medicine patients. I don't think it's hundred percent necessary. If you feel like you got good training and residency doing procedures that you need to do a fellowship. But if you want to do if you want to be a team physician uh, and you want to do team coverage or you want to do event coverage, then I think, I think it's an, it's necessary because we don't get as much of that training, the urgent care type training, the, you know, we don't get the extra, the, the last three years, the medical side of a college athlete coming in with the sniffles. What do I do? And we don't, we don't get as much of the acute management in, in our clinics. By the time we're seeing even musculoskeletal stuff, it's usually subacute to chronic. And so from that standpoint, then I think, then I think it's really helpful. But, but for me, the decision I, the, that I try to get residents to come to when we're having this discussion on fellowship or not is, is, is do you see, see yourself taking care of a team and doing event coverage? And if you don't, that's totally fine. You don't, you don't have to waste the extra year. Go get, you know, go get, a, go get paid, go get a better salary and, 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 and do your clinic. Um, 
but it, but if you want to get in that world and for me it was it was that plus i wanted to i want to have the practice i have today i wanted to be embedded within an orthopedics department and i i felt like at least at the time uh with with the culture uh, around in medicine that i that i needed the sports fellowship to get my foot in the door and and that really uh that really helped me kind of embed myself within the orthopedics department as well yeah and i know there's discussion of having sports medicine fellowships go to two years from one as well. And that's another thought, especially as people have, you know, they have bills to pay. It's much more expensive going to medical school and, you know, putting yourself through residency today and to add on two more years kind of at that level where you're still not really able to pay principal, for example, on some of your investment in yourself, it makes it a lot harder. So um, it's, you certainly don't do it just to get that extra certificate on the wall. It has to be something that you really want to do. And what I tell people is if you're going to do something like that, or you're thinking about it, do it while you're still young. Um, It's not going to make much of a difference down the road, whether you work 35 years or 36 or 37. What really matters is whether or not you love what you're doing. You don't want to go back and say, gosh, I really should have done that fellowship because it would have had me set for this next level. And I wanted to stay in academics and possibly be a chair or run a fellowship myself. Yeah. Invest in yourself. Yeah. Um, the other thing to think about too, is a lot of the sports coverage, the team coverage is not, it's kind of above and beyond. There's not a lot of plays. I mean, it's kind of baked into your, it's either, it's either voluntary or it's kind of baked into your, your, your salary, your contract with where you're at. And so a lot of the stuff that, you know, that I do outside of UC, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't get compensated as much for the time as I do when I'm at UC. And so it's, it's really, it's a, it's a labor of love and it's, it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of extra nights and weekends. And so it's not, it's certainly not for everybody, but for me, it's, it's always, you know, one of the highlights of my week is the stuff I do at the university. So. Yeah. And you came in kind of top heavy on the MSK side, you know, going into fellowship, knowing a lot of the ultrasound stuff, but not knowing so much about the acute care emergency side, sewing people up and all that other yep. kind of stuff. So, I mean, that's the trade-off. Everybody has their Absolutely. area yep. that they have to grow. So yeah. Awesome. One more break before we finish up. So here's another uh, little fun thing we do. This is what I call Mount Rushmore. All right. I, gave, <laughs> I gave the same Mount Rushmore. Give me your top four. I gave the same one to Dr. Clark and I'm just interested in hearing what you have to say. You're not as much of an NBA nut as she is, I'm guessing. No. But you know the NBA well enough to be able to answer this question. So here it is. Mount Rushmore all time for you. NBA centers. Oh, geez. Top four. So, I mean, since I started watching, centers, aren't, they don't play the role that they did, you know, in the 70s and 80s, really. Um so since I've been kind of, I think Elijah Wan would definitely be on the list. Uh, Shaq, you can't. Uh, other, we need two more. Let's see. I don't really think any of the centers that Jordan played with are worth anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see, who else would be? Sorry, Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> And there was there was two guys on that team that uh, that that ran the show, and it wasn't it wasn't Luke Longley. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's not really a, a lot of now. A lot of teams now are kind of going to that uh, 
again, you're thinking about your dad's, your dad's NBA, you know? Yeah, I didn't watch the My NBA. NBA. Yeah. No, uh, um, I mean, if you're going to go, I, I mean, I've seen highlights of, of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, you know, playing, and that, you know, um, with the hook shot. I think he's he's probably on the list. I just never watched him play. Um, Top scorer. I, think, I mean, Top scorer Dwight, NBA Howard, Dwight Howard was a good center. Uh, for a long, for a for a brief period of time, and I, I don't know that you really have centers now can shoot threes, and it's not really the same position. It's kind of more of a stretch four. True. So if you're going to go pure center, um, I, I, I think he might be on the list. Maybe yeah. Uh, so so your four so far is Elijahwan, Shaq, Jabbar, D12. Or was uh he wasn't this guy? I was going to say it was um. Oh, blanking on it. Ben Wallace wasn't a center, was he? He was a he was a four. And Rodman was a Rodman and Barkley were fours. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. I, I'm having trouble coming up with another standout center. So surprisingly, you and Dr. Clark have two people in common. So both you and Dr. Exactly. Clark have Olajuwon and Shaq. Yeah. Well, she spent two years in Houston. She had that Olajuwon on her list. Oh, she wanted Yao Ming too, but she she went back and pulled um, him off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I'm, mean, su- I'm surprised you talking, didn't put Wilt Chamberlain talking, and Russell. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I never watched him play. The only thing I ever saw Wilt Chamberlain was hold the number one hundred. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. I mean, Yao Ming. I, I mean, he kind of helped open the doors to getting. If you're talking importance of the NBA, I mean, he they've gotten millions of dollars off of exposure in China since having him in the league um but as far as talent yeah i don't there's not really anyone that plays that position that way anymore yeah so i was old enough i guess young enough to see some of the early wars between jabbar and wilt chamberlain as wilt was kind of at the peak and coming down and jabbar was taking over with the milwaukee bucks and my gosh that was a whole different nba at that time those guys oh those guys were like averaging 30 and 12 every night and you know there was no three-point shot so it was dunk it you know dip it into the big guy and you know no zone couldn't play zone so man to man so you know when you think of those guys where they changed the rules for wilt and kareem you know they they changed the size of you know the the key and with kareem and in college as lou alcender there was the no dunk rule you couldn't dunk so when you look at those guys you know it went from a definitely a george mikan kind of center league to now it's you know you can be as tall as you want as long as you can shoot threes you'll always have yeah yeah exactly all right so we're gonna finish up here this is the the opportunity where you get to kind of have free speech and kind of tell us i always ask for pearls or positive affirmations for people in training you know, we're always trying to get the next group of people in and to try to show them. I guess there's that saying that Dr. Alvin Crawford always says, you know, you've got to see one to be one. And I think what we've been able to do very well, especially with you being in the first year, working with the first year class, is letting people see, you know, what a musculoskeletal specialist is, what a physiatrist is. It's it's no longer just somebody who sees, you know, rehab in the inpatient setting. Um what do you what do you tell people now about you know what you do and and you know the future of 
you know, physiatry, physical medicine, and rehab? I mean, I think one of the coolest things about our field is that we're still relatively young compared to other fields of medicine, and we're still kind of deciding what we want to do. And it's kind of more of a philosophy of, of patient care than it is a, a, a branch of medicine. Because when we really think about it, I mean, we, we do a little bit of medicine on inpatient. We do a little bit of urology. We do a little bit of orthopedics. We do a little bit of everything. And so we can kind of make a practice that we want to make. Um, and so my, my pieces of advice always are, you know, never stop learning. Even when you're on a rotation that you're not really liking that much, there's something, there's something to learn. We always want to help kind of develop the skill of independent learning and, and critical appraisal. And, and then always just, you know, just work hard. I, I tell, I, this, I, this was my kind of philosophy when I was a, when I was a resident and early in my career. And just, I know we have had discussions on, on kind of scaling this back a little bit, but, but just don't say no, when you get opportunities, take them on. If you're uncomfortable, even better, take them on. uh, And, and they're only going to make you grow clinically, but, but professionally and personally too. And and you you don't shut any doors to yourself. Uh, And I, you know, I, I know we have talked and I've talked to other residents it's kind of like, you know, hanging out with some friends in high school, but you say no too many times and people are going to stop asking. So, you know, we want to, I, I always encourage people, if you get opportunities, take them even, like I said, if it scares you even more of a reason to take, which I was, I, I, I kind of shied away maybe a little bit too much from that in, in training. If, if I got a little bit, you know, intimidated by something, I, maybe I would pass on it, but uh, you know, I think the more, the more do- doors you can keep open, the longer, the better, the better career options you have down the line. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great to know that you can continue to learn 20 years in, 30 years in, you're continuing to learn every day. There is no ceiling on your ability to learn new things and the technology and the science continues to grow. And so you don't get bored. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it's, as long as you take ownership, it, it's one of the things in medicine, you can continue to own your own brain. You know, you may not be able to own your own practice, but you can own kind of the area and be able to say, you know what, I've only seen that once, but I'm going to go home and read about it tonight and I'm going to do my best. And I think when people see you trying to do your best to help them, that's, that's the best thing you can do for them. All right. Yeah. And and even in that, that same vein, I mean, being very honest with, with people too, saying, you know, I haven't done this that many times, but like, I'm willing to look into it and I'm willing to, to do what I can to help you. And I, those are some of the best patient encounters I've had where people are like, well, you know, especially as, as you've been helping me learn spine and I'll be very upfront with people and, and they'll say, no, if, if you, if you'll do it, I trust you more than anyone else. Cause you've spent the time with me to tell me what's going on. And so those are some of the best encounters and, and kind of most fulfilling encounters I've had with patients. Absolutely. All right. Well, this is going to be the first of many, but I really appreciate you taking the time with us and, you know, I think the most important thing right now is how can patients, families, providers, medical students, how can people find you easily? Do you have a, I know you probably don't have a website of your own, but what's the easiest way to, <laughs> I, you know, to we probably talk about find you? Like an old music. I don't have social media. I don't, I haven't bought into any of this stuff. I'm not advertising myself. I keep my head down and work hard and, and I'm, I'm relying on old word of mouth. Um, you can probably find me on the UC website, either through physical medicine and rehab or orthopedics. I think I'm on both. Um, if you're, you know, for, for clinical, um, questions or clinical expertise, any medical students or any, any, uh, you know, medical education things, um, 
you know, you can always reach out uh, via email or, or uh, yeah, I think those are available on the, on the website too, or, or kind of call. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have time to do the social media game. Yeah. So I think med.uc.edu and just to kind of foster F-O-S-T-E-R, Tim Foster and Timothy yep. Foster, and they'll be able to find you again. Yeah, that's, that sounds good. I appreciate it. I'm lucky if I know time. where I'm at. I don't know how other people will find me, but yeah, I'll do, I'll do your social media for you. How's that? That's fine. You can All meet right, me man. at the Arby's in Oxford here in uh, about 10 minutes. So I can get a quick sandwich and eat in my car, like uh, the life of a team physician as uh, I'm driving to the basketball game. That's so. living. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim. Great speaking with you. All right. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. Feel free to reach out to us at the woodshed at my email address. Duplishan, that's D-U-P-L-E-C-H-A-N-M-S-K-U-S at gmail.com or visit my YouTube channel at Duplishan Musculoskeletal Ultrasound. Until then, keep burning the midnight lamp. <laughs>